Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> You're not super happy this morning, are you? There's nothing, there's nothing worse than... Bad coffee. Nothing worse in the whole world. That's what I get for switching it up. I should never do that. Right. Going outside my comfort zone. It sounded good. It was called Lucky Charm. And it sounded like it was going to be like... It's like marshmallow and what? white chocolate and hazelnut. I don't know why in my brain that sounds good. It kind of just tastes like a burnt marshmallow. Does it? Yeah, I don't Some really. people like burnt marshmallows. Some people love burnt marshmallows. I don't know. I like black coffee. You know, there's nothing more dependable in the whole world than black coffee, Samantha. I am one of those girls, though, that even if I'm roasting a marshmallow, I get it, like, just golden, and then I, like, eat that layer, and then I cook the little... Oh, I light my marshmallow on fire, blow um, it out, and then... No. Yeah. I don't like any little char, and it tastes like a charred marshmallow. Oh. Well, that's what you get. <laughs> Drink black coffee. I'm going to start a movement. <laughs> Stop drinking sugar. Stop drinking your calories. I'm just They're kidding. so good though. Uh, yeah. Well, obviously it's so good, right, Samantha? Uh, <laughs> My coffee's great. Should have gotten a chai. Right? Should have gotten a chai. They're they're dependable. Stick with what you know. Yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Seriously. Well, what are we talking about today? Today we are gonna be talking about the Tamla Horsford case. Oh no. Uh, Alright. Well, I'm Tracy. I'm Samantha. Welcome to the suspended sentence. All right, so we're gonna just jump right in. Have you heard anything about this case? A little bit. Um, I think she's a single mom, or she not a single mom, but she was a mom of five, right? She was, yeah. Yeah, I'm a mom of five. I so I mean, and I know I a little bit about it, but cases that are that you make correlations with are hard to well, digest. And she, I know you as a mother, and. She, She's going to remind you a lot of yourself. She loved her kids and she loved her husband. And from every, all the research I've done, like, wasn't a remarkable woman. Really? Yeah. So this place, this takes place in Georgia in a community that is notoriously very racist. And don't get mad at me for saying that and stigmatizing this. This is just going straight off of facts on their history of being a racist community. Mm-hmm. Um, this community only has a 4% black community inside it in Georgia. And in the early, I can't remember the exact years, um, like 1960, a peaceful protest of African Americans came through trying to bring recognition to the fact that this community was racist. Mm -hmm. They made the KKK showed up. They oh threw my gosh. rocks at these people who were peacefully protesting, just wanting to live in the community. They have pushed people out for years. Then that's why the community is so small. Yeah. So here's a little personal story about my time down in Georgia. I'm born and raised pretty much in Wyoming. And there there is not a heavy population. There's not a population at all, really, of African Americans or anything other than white in Wyoming. I so looked into that, too, because I was interested. There is 4%... Um, Hispanic in the town that we live in and 0.98% African-American. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not something that, I mean, we're not, ex I don't want to say exposed to that population, but, but racism is, I don't want to say it's not a thing here, but it's not to me at all, at all. I mean, one of my best friends growing up was African-American and it's not something that I look at somebody and be like, you know, whatever, but but when I, I went down to Georgia oh, three years ago, four years ago, maybe five years ago, 
and I stayed with um, one of my best friends and, and her husband down there. And we went out to eat one morning for breakfast. And there was an African-American man and his wife and two children in this restaurant. And Samantha, let me tell you, <laughs> I have never seen a disregard for human life the way that I did right there towards that man and his family. And they straight took it. I mean, when, when the other white people were telling them or calling them some of the names, and I'm not even gonna say the names that they, that they said on there, um, they sat there and took it. When they told them to move, they all got up and moved. And being in Wyoming, a woman in Wyoming, we are strong women here. Mm -hmm. We do not bow down to any, and when we've got something to say, we say it, right? And I listened for, for a while, and I was like, there, there's no way this is happening, right? <clears throat> and my friend, my, one, of, you know, my, one of my closest friends, I was talking to her, and I was like, what the hell is happening here? And she's like, oh, it's just the way it is. And I was like, bullshit. And I actually said something, and I, was, <laughs> I actually stood up for him, because I was like, I, what the hell are you guys doing? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I, because like I, I grew up here and when I moved to Texas, obviously there's way more races and demographics of people in mm -hmm. Fort Worth. And one of my best friends down there is um, from Egypt. And oh, so yeah. I, I learned so much from him about how much, just not that I, I, I was ignorant. I had no idea what was going on because right. we don't see it here. And so we don't see it and we don't participate in it. Yeah, and you just the way people speak to other people that nobody it's disgusting. It doesn't matter that you're another human being. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Well, this this community in Georgia is just like that. Just like that. Disgusting. Tamela was born in the Caribbean on October 10th, 1978. She was married to a man named Leander, who in this we'll call Lee, and people called Tamla Tam. So she was African-American. They were she an African-American family. Mm -hmm. And I saw pictures of her. She's beautiful. beautiful. And beautiful family. Beautiful family. Um, they were married for 16 years and had five sons, and she had one stepdaughter from another relationship that didn't live with her because it was her stepdaughter, but she had a very tight relationship with us, with her. Um, so six total or five total? She six, had five boys five with her? Five boys and then her stepdaughter. So okay, six, so six total. Okay. Her sons raged from age four to 14 at the time of her death. At the beginning of their relationship, they lived in Florida, but had recently moved to Cumming, Georgia, due to Lee getting a new job. The family was really, really excited about this move. Ugh. Um, Tamla and Lee's boys all played football, and this community was a big football yep. town. The South takes <clears throat> football very, very seriously. seriously. Starting at two. Two, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Tamla was very present for every practice, every game, and she loved being a football mom. She, Aww, that was her, her, her boys. She loved being the football mom. She volunteered at her boys' school and was very involved in her children's life. They were a very, very tight-knit family. Her husband told the police that Tamla was the, had the biggest heart and that made everyone feel included. She never met a stranger. No. In coming, she met a lot of other moms through school and through football, and she met her best friend, Michelle. She liked making friends with her kids, with her kids' moms because she was, she was just that kind of mom. She was involved. Yeah. She wanted to do what her kids were doing, so she made friends with her kids' friends' moms to sure. be around them. On November third, twenty eighteen, the forty fifth birthday slash adult sleepover, which sounds like my worst nightmare. Don't, yeah. Do not invite me to an adult sleepover. Seriously. A, it sounds gross, but it sounds like a swingers party. <laughs> yeah, don't invite me that. 
was held by John Myers, and John is a girl. So, John, it's spelled like Jean, but it's John. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the party was hosted by a lady named Stacy, who is a friend of her, but it was hosted at, at John's house. This party was a bunch of white football moms that the kids played football with, and Tamla had known, didn't know many of the women, she just had seen them through football games and practices and things. So, she really only knew Stacy and John. Okay. But was invited to, to the birthday party. To the sleepover. Yeah. Weird. So men were not supposed to be present during this party. It was supposed to be like a girls' night. But Jose, a 27-year-old boyfriend of the homeowner, John, um, and her and Stacy's husband, Thomas, were there. They said they didn't feel like leaving, that they were just going to hang out in the theater room in the basement and watch the LSU game. They did come up and hang out once food came out. Of course, the men come running when the food's <laughs> out. So Jose and Tom come up and are like, oh, we'll just hang out here for a little while. Right. You got all the snacks. So, Jose was a pretrial court officer for the county, and that is important to remember for later. Okay. So, the party began around 6.30, 7 p.m., and Tamla showed up late around 8 p.m. because she wanted to make sure her kids were settled before leaving the house. She made dinner, made sure everybody had their baths, got everybody to bed. Um, oh, that's so a mean sure, thing to do. Yeah, made sure that her husband was set up for the, for the evening. That's awesome. And I feel like if you have a good partner, like, those That's what you do. That you do. You want to. You don't want to leave it in chaos, especially five kids. She, she's going out for the night, and mom. Well, you're just being considerate too. Like yeah. you're just being a team. And the part that <clears throat> really, really kills me about that is she even made sure to make it sure, make sure that there was a breakfast casserole made for the morning, so that her husband just had to, that Lee just had to put it in the oven. For oh, her. I love her. Isn't she just sound amazing? Yes. She brought a fancy bottle of tequila for John for her birthday, and the plan was to watch the LSU game, drink, hang out, play cards, and then have a sleepover. According to Lee, she called home around 10 p.m. and was really excited and having a good time and was happy to be getting some girl time. She was happy that she was getting to relax. She also FaceTimed her kids to show them off to all the women at the party. Oh, I love her. I This, this woman. This case. <clears throat> So they played game, played cards, hung out. Like I said, they were all drinking, just having a girls' night. There was probably like nine, ten women at this party. Mm-hmm. Uh, the women stated that Tamla went outside, smoked a joint on the porch, but at some point, at some point, but she said that she was the only one that went outside to smoke. Which to me, a why are you saying that? Like why is yeah. that relevant? Other than you're trying to make it sound like well, she was just outside smoking weed. Yeah. And I'm sorry, most people aren't just going to light up at someone else's house, and Tamla doesn't seem like that unless other people were probably smoking weed. Yeah, well. like a social thing. Um, so do you know, is marijuana legal in Georgia? I don't know. I don't know either. But it just kind of seemed like a catty little like remark yeah. to throw there. She was the only one outside smoking marijuana. Yeah, it seems like something that doesn't need to be said. But 100%. John also told police that she did not want Tamla's gift of the bottle of tequila because it, quote, made her throw up in her mouth. What a bitch. Literally. So Tamla drank a lot that evening. Everyone in the party said that she was never out of control. She wasn't slurring. She was walking just fine, but she did drink quite a bit that evening. Tamla and Bridget were the last ones awake. Bridget was getting picked up at her, by her husband at 1.45 a.m. And the following morning around 8.30, according to John's Aunt Madeline, she was get up getting coffee ready for the ladies, looked out the kitchen window, which overlooked the backyard, and she saw some pajamas laying in the grass. It was Tamla in the yard. 
She said in her police interview that she did not start the coffee, that she just immediately got down on her knees and prayed. Okay. She ran upstairs, knocked on John's door, but heard running water, went back downstairs, looked out the window again to make sure that she wasn't seeing things, and ran up and knocked louder. Th that's interesting to me. Your first instinct is you see a body laying in the ground, you drop to your knees and pray. You don't know if she's okay. You don't know if she's just asleep in the yard. You don't know anything. Right. You don't go out and check on her. You just assume. Pray. Fishy. <clears throat> 8.45 a.m., Jose and John said that they were sleeping, and the second time that Madeline came up and knocked woke them up. Madeline said that she, I need to speak with Jose. And then said, quote, your friend from the island is face down, not moving in the yard. CPR was never attempted, and no one ever attempted to roll her over to see if she was breathing. Jose said he touched Tamla's back to see if she was breathing and tried to move her leg, but it was stiff. At 8.59 a.m., John calls 911 and told them about the party and the scene in the yard and said that Tamla stayed up in the balcony and was still drinking when everyone had gone to bed. She must have fallen off fallen off the balcony. And then he immediately hands the phone to Jose, who says he sees a small cut on her wrist, but she isn't breathing, and he isn't sure that if the small cut on her wrist was self-inflicted. They're all saying this to the 911 operator. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The dispatcher latches onto that cut on her wrist and asked if she was suicidal. Jose asked the, says, I'm not sure, but the balcony is about 20 feet if you're standing on the railing from where her body is laying now. I have cameras up that cover the entire backyard. It would see everything that happened and tells dispatch he will check them for them. These were never given to the police and were ac later accidentally deleted. We'll get more into that later, but we never see these surveillance tapes from the backyard. Jose says he last saw Tamla at 1.30 in the morning and was not sure if she was if she was waiting for a ride or said that maybe she was staying up till morning. What? 9.07, the police arrived, arrive on scene and see Jose, who they knew from court. Tamla was determined to be deceased at the scene. EMS was never dispatched to the house. A coroner showed up, not EMS. So we don't even know. She hasn't been declared deceased until police are there. Why was an EMS never sent? That's weird to me. Yeah. Because usually EMS or a doctor has to declare someone deceased. Well, yeah, they're usually not declared dead until they they're get like, to the hospital. But she's not going to the hospital. She's, she's going, going to, to the... I don't know. Fishy. Maybe people do it. Maybe different places do it differently. I don't know. That stuck out to me. I was like, that's weird to me that the EMS never came out. Her right wrist was broken her and her body was taken away for autopsy because the police said that her body was in a weird position that if she had fallen from that height, um, so kind of how she's laying is her face is completely in the grass. If I'm, if you fall, your natural instinct is to turn your head mm -hmm. so that you don't break your nose, break your face, you protect your face. Her face was completely down in the grass. Her left arm was at her side and her right arm was above her head, stretched out. So it's just a, kind of a weird position to begin with that she didn't turn her head. She didn't anything. But so, if you're intoxicated, your reflexes are slow. I mean, I'm trying to just play devil's advocate here. Yeah. So they send in, in for an autopsy because they're like, it's a little weird. It's a little weird positioning. They say maybe she tripped on the lip from the concrete to the grass, and maybe she had a seizure on the way down. 
she didn't have a history of seizures. Like, people are just speculating. People are just throwing out ideas on what To confuse the facts, yeah. Um, the other issue is there was a lack of blood pooling, which should have been there from a 20-foot fall. Absolutely. There's no blood pooling. The police leave um, the people in the house to speak with each other before interviewing them. Of course. So, two women left about 10 p.m., Bridget left about 1.45 a.m. At 4.10, Marcy left. 7.40, a woman named Paula left. And at 8.30, Tom and Stacy left. So all of these people are leaving after the time that that Tam was last seen. Nobody saw anything? Mm-hmm. Jose said that it was 1.30. He saw Tamla, who said she was going out for another, for another cigarette. And then she was going to sleep on the couch. So now his story's already changed. He saw her at 1. Now he's seen her at 1.30. She was going to bed. Now she's out smoking a cigarette. She's staying up all night. She's smoking a job. What is she doing? What is she doing? Everyone mentions that late at night um, that she had said she wanted to leave and go home. They told her that she had been drinking and they would not let her go home. So my question is, it's 2018. If they didn't want her driving, why didn't they just call her an Uber? She's a grown woman if she wanted to go home. Or her husband. I'm sure her husband would have come and got her. her. It's not like she had overly young children at home that they could. You know what I mean? Like. And it sounds like they were very much in love. He would have come and got her. If she felt uncomfortable. Absolutely. But they told her that she needed to stay. So again, the story changes. And Jose says that everyone got up and was cleaning that morning when they found Tamla's cigarettes and looked out the window and saw her in the yard. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Both Jose and John then changed their story again and said that they saw her about 1230 a.m. when she was heading out for a cigarette and then heading to bed. Tamala was asking John to, John to stay up with her and said that she never gets girl time. Please stay up. Don't go to bed. Like, I don't stay up with me. John then tells the police that she has a security app on her phone that sends notifications to her when uh, when the when it's alarmed for whenever the door opens and shut. The front door opens about 1:47 a.m. when Bridget was leaving. The balcony door opens at 1:49 and closes at 1:50. Opens it again at 1.57, but then the door never shuts again. So if she did go out for a cigarette, that's an appropriate amount of time, like seven minutes. Sure. That's an appropriate time, but why she wouldn't have just left the door open. And we know that she never came back inside. So who opened the door again? Unless what, did she open the door, turn around, and jump off the balcony? Like, that's weird. The garage door was also open at 1.39 a.m., closed at 1.40 a.m., and then opened again at 1.40, but was never closed again. Hmm. <clears throat> Her family was very suspicious when they got the news about Tamla's death. The next day, autopsy comes back, and her blood alcohol level was a .248. Oh, man. So three times the legal drinking level. There was marijuana in her system and Xanax in her system. Xanax was not prescribed to Tamla. And there, um, there was none, no Xanax in her belongings. And her husband said that she did not take any medication. Her right wrist was broken. There was a one-inch cut on her arm. Uh, there was bruises on her legs and injuries to her head and neck. There was also a cut above on her forehead, on the bridge of her nose, above her eye, and on her chin. And also a fracture of the C2 vertebrae. So, like this. So, it's all, yeah. Yeah. Conducive of falling, honestly. But she fell in the grass. She didn't fall in gravel. Yeah, but if you fall. your face that hard. 
There was also a cut on her heart, which is a common injury from that is a common injury in a car accident from intense mm-hmm. force to your chest. And but there was no broken bones in her face. Yeah. She, she didn't break her nose. She didn't break any cheekbones. She late was laying face down. How did she not break any bones in her face from a twenty foot fall? That's Yeah. A little weird. Cause of death was listed as multiple blunt force injuries caused by a fall. There was no damage to her teeth as well. So they say when you break your C2 vertebrae, that's conclusive with hitting your chin really, really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, But common with that, if you hit that, you usually break all your teeth. Yeah. And there was no damage to her teeth. So conclusive with a fall, but also not conclusive with a fall. No photos were taken during the autopsy, which is which is standard autopsy procedure. If you mark that she has a cut above her right eye, you take a photo of that to prove there was a yeah. cut. Not a single photo was taken during her autopsy. What is the explanation for that? There is no explanation. They just didn't take any. Huh. Statements from all in attendance um, were not taken until two weeks after Tamla's death. This makes me... This gets confused. You're going to have to bear with me here because these women get all over the place with their testimonies. Some of the interviews were conducted at John's house. It was also listed in the interview that they took away her cell phone and her keys because she had been driving that night. So they had her cell phone. They took it from her and said, you've been drinking. Give us your keys and your cell phone. Huh. So I understand the keys. I understand if you don't want somebody leaving when they're intoxicated, but why would you take somebody's cell phone? That's weird to me. So the first interview was with Madeline, and this was conducted at John's house. She sticks to her story about how she found her. She prayed and then went and found John and Jose. Then all of a sudden, John walks in during the interview and says to the officer that she's going to start charging them rent for being at her house. The officers laugh, and she goes, oh, guess what I was just doing? I was out getting you guys gift cards. But then thought, maybe that might be weird since the case isn't quite closed yet. The officers were like, oh, haha, I, like, can't take your gift cards. That's bribing an officer. What the hell? So they finish up with Madeline, and they start interviewing John. She starts out by calling the officer Mike, and not by his last name, not by officer. She's like, oh, hey, Mike, how's it going? Mm-hmm. The police let her know that they cannot accept the gift cards from her. One of the first things that she, that she disagrees with is the events that her aunt Madeline said. John says that her aunt always goes out first thing in the morning to check with check the weather. So she says that her aunt walks outside. She just moved to Georgia. She's still getting used to the weather. So she goes out every morning to see what the weather's like. She said she saw Tamla, came in, washed her face, went back out to make sure she wasn't seeing things, and then went up and got Jose and John. Jose then got dressed and called for me to join him outside and then says that she handed her phone because she had dialed 911. So we know from the 911, Jose isn't the first one that spoke to her, John is. Right. So she's already lying. She's already changing the story again, and she isn't telling the truth. John said both of Tamla's arms were by her sides when they went out, and that her right arm was never lifted up. She said that she looked like she had face planted, and and that she does not know why her arm was even moved. They then asked asked if Tamla was the only one smoking weed that night, and she said, if you're going to get me on record, this is a quote, if you're going to get me on record, when you talk to other people like Diane or whatever, 
When she spoke to Paula, this is not me. This was not said to me. Just so you know. What? Just following up. Maybe so you'll follow up. She asked Paula, Paula, do you know if she did coke or anything else? And Paula said, I don't know nothing of that. I wasn't even aware that she did that. So now John is, now John's spreading a rumor. She's saying she's doing coke. She then goes into saying, that made me, my head think. Oftentimes I think things that'll make my head think. Because I was like, well, she drank so much tequila and that's a depressant and pot's a depressant. But if you did that, she always had so much energy. So maybe, maybe she was just partying a little too much. But I don't know. I don't know that. And she did say that to Diana. And I would maybe ask Paula if she did. I don't know. Anything beyond that, because Paula was, got here late. Like, what, what is that? What is, what, what is that? That's her interview with the police. Oh my god. I think things that make my head think sometimes. Oh my god. I don't know if she does coke, but she probably does coke. So there's about 10 interviews. <laughs> They're all about 20 to 30 pages long. Completely non-helpful. Not helpful at all. They're doing the and they're and these and these girls are supposed to be her friend. Yeah. They're giving enough information to seem like they're being helpful, like the security cameras. But we'll check that for you. Oh, here's, here's a gift card. I mean, Jesus Christ. So the police ask for some photos that John has from the incident, and and John said asks the officer for his cell phone number so that she can just text it to him. Then gets a little flirting, saying that she has the other officer's phone number, but not the other. So he gives her her cell phone number, and the entire time she's like, see, I got you saved, I got you saved, I've got your number, ha ha ha, like making a joke of the whole situation. Not the fact that a woman died in your backyard two weeks ago. That's supposed to be your friend. And we're making a joke out of it. And we're so emotional, and we're so, like, protected, sensitive women that as soon as we see something that's upsetting, we fall to our knees to pray but we're going to then speak ill of the deceased and not be helpful and not give a shit. And that's not true. There was no coke in her system. We're saying we're that gonna to We're going to gossip and we're going to lie and we're going to... Cool. Okay. Cool, right? You know, the thing is, is that like the evidence would show... I mean, all of the evidence points towards... She was extremely intoxicated. Point two, whatever. Mm -hmm. I, that's She was really drunk. Mm -hmm. She had marijuana in her system... She, and, and the, um, the autopsy report, it's conducive to a fall. She fell, right? But then you throw in their behavior and you're like, yeah, bullshit. She got pushed. Yeah. Well, so here's the other thing too. So like she said, her arms were at, her, both arms were at her side. Why are we not asking who moved her arm then? Well, and, but they don't know. They don't know their heads from their asses. But these, these women are a mess. Like, stupid here's the other thing though with that i shouldn't is... have said that <laughs> but they're really irritating oh, me bridget's gonna or is it bridget yeah bridget's gonna piss you off he jose said he tried to lift up her leg to see if it was stiff and rigor mortis had started settled mm -hmm. so if that arm was moved if joan or john at any point then saw it had to have happened immediately, immediately after. after she was in rigor you can't move arms after right after rigor mortis is set in right So, the last person to speak to Tamla was Bridget. 
She said that Tam walked her to the door, gave her a big hug and a kiss on the cheek and told her that she was really happy to meet her, which is characteristic from what we know about her. She was that kind of girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, in her interview, she was all over the place, though. And Bridget's way more all over the place than, than John was. She kept saying over and over again how she was the mother hen of the group. That she wasn't drinking that night because she had to watch out for everybody else. Because she's a mother hen. Oh. She's the mother hen of the group. Mm-hmm. She was waiting to see she if did there was a great job. She did a really good job. She's fired. <laughs> she said this was the second time that she had ever met Tam. And the time before... The time before was actually just the weekend before when she had brought the kids to do a pumpkin carving party. She said, then went on and on about how she's OCD and loves power tools. And how all of Tam's kids loved her because she she had power tools. She was a really cool lady. She's the mother hen. I'm the mother hen. She said it like 17 times in this interview. Mm -hmm. I'm a mother hen. She's fired. She sucks. She said she wasn't drinking. Once again, I was not drinking because I'm a mother hen. I was just making sure... Nobody else was having any issues. Mm. I'm a mother hen. I am the best friend that you will ever have. I make sure your house is clean before I leave a party. I will do your dishes. Like, I am an amazing friend. Oh, yes, you are. This was all just at. She, literally, it's like five pages of her saying that she's a mother hen and what an amazing friend she is. Mm -hmm. From the question, were you drinking that night? Yeah. Her interview is 45 pages long and they asked her four questions. Like, this woman just talked and talked and talked about Have you ever heard this saying, never trust somebody who tells you to trust them? There's some... (laughs) She's just a mother hen, okay? Yeah, she sucks at her... She's just a mother hen. So. So something that made the family obviously rightfully very upset is there was no media coverage of this until mid-December. So she passed away in October. The media did not pick up this case until December. And that was only because Tam's best friend, Michelle made a stink about it and was like this is bull crap why are we not talking about yeah the lack of police like due diligence why are we not talking about how the story keeps changing why are we not talking about my best friend who who made us think about it michelle and michelle was there that night no michelle was not there she was not there last mm-hmm. uh that's just tam's best friend of five years so she was like rightfully this is my person yeah like, she might not matter to you guys, but she matters to me. And I'm, Michelle to this day is still fighting for Tamara. And, and nobody's going to listen to her husband. He's an African-American in the South, right? Mm-hmm. So, Michelle, I'm assuming, is white? I believe so, yeah. So, Michelle was really upset that the women kept changing their story about what happened that evening. But then they said, uh, they would say that their stories kept changing because they kept hearing different facts. Different facts? Mm-hmm. Different facts from the case, so... That's why their story kept changing. Okay. So in November, John sent Michelle a cease and desist about talking. Their stories are changing because they're fat. I don't understand. Because they're talking to each other and they're getting more facts about what happened. They're getting the missing puzzle pieces. Okay. But other people's truth is not their truth. Yeah. So obviously that made Michelle upset. She's like, okay, stop talking to each other and just tell the truth. Like, just tell us what happened. And so John sent Michelle a cease and desist about talking about Tam's death and tried to put in a protective order against her because she said she was afraid of Michelle. <laughs> I don't know why that made me smile. <laughs> I was like, good. <laughs> so on December 17th, Jose was put on probation at his work for, remember, he works yeah. in the courthouse for 
looking into documents surrounding the case because he's involved with it that is against the rules you can't yep. look into your own cases mm-hmm. so he was put on probation on the 17th of december december 20th he was fired due to loss of confidence in him to do his job a few days after her death he um, he accessed documents about the case and then looked into it again on november 20th and then looked into the protective order that was against michelle so he looked into this doc into her file three different times hmm now, the first time I can kind of see, like, okay, I'm curious about what they're saying. Like, I'm wondering what's going no, on. No, not me. The those two that have other no- times. Those that have nothing to hide, hide nothing. Yeah. And he had an in. So if there was, I mean, those that have nothing to hide, hide nothing. You don't have to follow up on stories that are the truth. The truth stands on its own. Yeah. So before working at the courthouse, he was a probation officer the next county over. Where he was fired, he states due to a disagreement around a relationship with a coworker, but it's unfounded on if that's really why he was terminated or not. It's kind of hard to get fired from the government. It's so hard, especially being a PL. So, and he's been fired twice in two years from government positions. A month later, the case was closed and marked as an accident. As an accident. So now remember at the beginning when they said that they had a video of the accident. These videos, there are videos for every single day except the day of the accident. She said that she accidentally deleted that day and then sent Mike, Officer Mike, a email saying, maybe you guys can recover it. I don't know what I did. I'm really good. I'm really bad with surveillance systems. Oh, convenient. So once again, being helpful, just helpful enough without being helpful at all. Right. And then playing dumb. Yeah. I have no idea how that happened. That's crazy. So once the case was ruled an accident and closed. Okay, though, seriously, though, that's law enforcement's bad. Law enforcement should have should have kicked everybody out of the house and locked up that house like a, you know what I mean? Like, that's their bad. Yeah. Yeah. Why did that happen? That is bad police work. Well, so now, this is going to make you more and more angry. So once the case was ruled an accident and closed, 11 alive investigators were able to request those same records because the case was closed and now outside investigators can look into it. Right. Horsford's husband hired attorney Ralph Fernandez, who released for the first time the full independent autopsy performed by medical examiner Dr. Adol Shaker. And he says, quoted saying, I know this was a homicide, Fernandez says. The problem is I can't pin it on anybody because I don't have a badge. Yeah. He also said, I, oh, no, Michelle says, I haven't been able to grieve her because I've been fighting for justice for four years. Yeah. She wants to know why no one tried to roll Horsford over to render CPR after discovering her outside, not even the police. Who called off EMS? According to documents provided by part of the investigation, there was no what no effort whatsoever done to save my woman's life. Yeah. Dr. Shaker, the forensic pathologist that examined Horsford's body after the GBI, so that's the local mm-hmm. um, GBI is the local who did the first autopsy, said that her the dislocated risk in the GBI report was actually a compound fracture. In the scene photos, you can see a bone sticking out of her arm. So, why was it listed as a compound fracture? It was broken, broken. 
The injury is significant because there is very little blood found at the scene, raising questions on where this injury actually occurred and whether it happened before or after her death. Mm. If you have a bone sticking out of your hand, you're bleeding. Why is there no blood? What little blood can be found is on Horsford's sleeve, and it is on the opposite side of her injury. Oh, interesting. She, um, Horsford's father said, I don't think the cut on her wrist, I think the cut on her wrist was post-mortem. I don't think that she died with that cut. I think that was put there after the fact. Her family said that they believe this impacted the way many deputies viewed the scene. The lead investigator in the case, Michael Christensen, good old Mike, is accused of calling Horsford, Horsford the Porsche lady and making derogatory racial remarks after her death. Awesome. I say very sarcastically. Fernandez, the attorney, said, I mean, that's horrific. The racist, bigoted, sarcastic, funny way that the sick son of a, remove the explicit, deputy was speaking about this woman. He states that they were taken out of context, but other de- and other deputies denied that he even said it, but it's on his body cam footage. On the body cam audio, you can hear one of the deputies walking up to another deputy as they arrived at the scene and mentioning Jose. Quote, he said, we've got mutual friends together. I've known Jose for a while. We're good buddies, the deputy is said, saying in the video. You can also hear another woman at the party express concerns about how she's going to be late for her new job. After explaining where she works, the deputy says, quote, you'll be fine. Your boss is my wife. Jesus Christ. So it's unclear what new evidence would come from a new investigation after so much time has passed, but the family believes that someone has yet to come forward, and if somebody does, they can find out what happened and finally have some peace. Fernandez says he intends to write up his own report about all the inconsistencies and evidence, especially um, litigating the case on paper. He hopes it will lead to new evidence and form within the police system and reform the police system. The lead investigator, Michael Christensen, lost his certification to work as a police officer after this case. The high-profile nature of Horsford's death led led to several women coming forward, accusing Christensen of sharing scene photos and confidential information about their cases, about this case with them. So he was taking the crime scene photos and just showing them around town. So as far as Horsford's case... It is currently closed, and years later, there are no plans to charge anyone with her death. It's closed? It's a closed case. It's not open. Nope, but they're doing private, like, the family is doing their own investigations and do plan to take suit against the county. So, I, um, I hit you with a lot, and that one's a confusing. There's a lot going on It's in that, It's not but... confusing. It's not confusing at all. It's very, very, very cut and dry, and it's... I, I have said this before in many, op- in, in quite a few episodes. I'm stuttering because I'm like, oh, phrase this right. Um, if I cannot stand people who are so happy, I can't stand it. I think that people, people take that way too far and it's almost like a fucking, oh, I just cussed, mm-hmm. epidemic in our country being able to sue people. But if I was her husband, I would be suing everyone. Beginning with law enforcement. And I don't want to jump on the law enforcement is a bunch of idiots train. I don't want to do that because they have they have a lot. They deal with a lot. They see a lot. They endure a lot. Um, but my God. Well, and the fact that my good old buddy Mike 
was a friends with the family. It doesn't. It's that he was being racist. Like I don't think they it's care not just him. It's it's not just him though. Like he has a boss. He has somebody that he answers to. It wasn't one officer. It was all of the officers. Everybody should have been removed from that house, and tape should have been put around it, and it should have been treated like <clears throat> an actual crime scene. Yeah, because. That's what it is until it's ruled that it is not. Mm-hmm. Everybody should have been separated. Everybody should have been taken down to the station. Everybody should have been interviewed until the truth came out. And this poor woman and her poor children. What are her children? I, I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, if we... My, my favorite movie of all time is A Time to Kill. Mm-hmm. And my favorite line in that that's popping into my head right now. Imagine if that woman was white. Oh, 100%. How different would that entire process would have been had she been white and i don't like jumping on the whole race thing i don't like it but it's a real thing and it has to be and it is in this and case. these women like are you serious right now and at a minimum all of those women should be charged with taking her cell phone away from her if they're going to do that and she was not in a capacity to make decisions on her own someone there should have called her damn husband Somebody who cared about her because there wasn't a single person in that room or in that house that gave a shit about her. So they should, and if they didn't want her there, they shouldn't have invited her. Don't invite her and call her husband and say, come get your, come get your wife. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this is, and good for Michelle and. And her husband and her father are, they are, they're still fighting for it. I heard this case the first time a couple of years ago. And at that point, I don't know if it's still up. I need to. I'll look into that and put it on there if it is. There was a petition to reopen the case that I signed two years ago because mm-hmm. I think it does. I think I think they did just good enough a job of making it look like a fall. Maybe it was. I don't think it was. The lack of blood evidence, the fact that nothing's broken in her face. I think that she was killed in the house and taken outside and made it look like there, a fall. There is definitely more to the story. And there is 100% more to the story. And yes, they got lucky that the evidence shows the little bit of evidence. The surface level of evidence shows that it was a fall and that's how she died. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even super concerned about or alarmed by the fact that her face didn't have breaks. Because I, I've seen and I've been in, on enough scenes of drunk driving accidents where... Everybody else will, I mean, die in a car accident. And the person who's drunk lives because they're relaxed, because they're, I you yeah. just react differently when you're, so I'm not even super concerned about that. It's all the follow-up bullshit that's like, mm, no, there's more to this. Because people don't react that way. You don't see your friend laying in your yard and fall to your knees and pray and not instantly go and run to them. You don't, that is not normal reaction. That is not normal behavior. That does not happen. Children wouldn't do that. Well, and I mean, it's from from the very get-go. They mentioned the cut on her wrist. Maybe she self-inflicted it. And the EMS is like, oh, was she suicidal? Oh, yeah, because because she definitely acts like a suicidal person, doesn't she? was a devoted mother. Come on. Was sad, like... Devoted wife and mother, doted over her family, took care of her family to the extent that she had. Women who are unhappy do not behave that way. She loved her family. And I love how much she loved her husband and family. And her acts of service signify that. 
Women who love their man and love their family behave the way that she did prior to leaving. She took care of them before she went and did something for herself. And uh, it just makes me mad, these women putting it out there. Well, she probably just committed suicide. Or or she does coke. Or she was outside smoking weed by herself. Or she was really, really drunk. Or she just bought this expensive bottle of tequila. Gross. Make me throw up in my mouth. What a bunch of bitches. Yeah. But to put that in like that, that's what her children have to hear. Right. I think that's bullshit. This was a woman that loved her children and loved her, loved her community, loved all of this, did all these things, and we're going to talk poor about this woman. Right. That her children are going to have to read. That Absolutely. makes me angry. Yeah. Ugh. This case. Well, we're going to put links up on our Instagram about this. Please go and sign the petition. Please go and get this case real. Do what you can to help. Ah. This makes me angry. Thanks for joining us. Yes. Thank you. See and you guys next see week. You soon. Stay safe.